0: Well good morning everyone, it's fantastic to be with you this morning. Uh, This is a big day uh, because uh, in every calendar year uh, this is the day that begins the celebration of what is traditionally in church history known as Holy Week. Uh, That means that what we're stepping into today is a week out of all the 52 weeks of the year that is made holy or sacred or hallowed which means that it is set apart for something extraordinary for something that is of God and what is it that this week is all about right why is it called Holy Week because we are celebrating this week beginning this weekend and all the way into next weekend we are celebrating the events the realities the implications of the great redemptive rescue story of God. This is the week that we get to stop everything we're doing for a little bit and spend some time really fixing and focusing on the fact that though we abandoned God in the beginning of our human story in the Garden of Eden, God never abandoned us. That He made the promise from the second we walked out on Him, He made the promise that He was coming for us. That he was going to make right what was wronged, he was going to make alive what was dead, he was going to rescue what was lost. And he effectively produced a master plan that he reveals to us in scripture and it is this week that we get to celebrate the full culmination of that master plan. We get to celebrate what God did. Now, this particular weekend, as we enter into Holy Week, we celebrate a very particular event that took place that kind of launched into that last week of the life of Jesus on this planet. If you remember the story at all, if you've been around church, and if you don't, you're about to hear it, so it works out well. Uh, Jesus, when He was born onto this planet though he was born under some extraordinary circumstances and without a doubt supernatural circumstances born of a virgin born with angels declaring his arrival born with uh, sets of prophecy and things that had been foretold fulfilled although that is true he was also born in obscurity his birth was not meant for the people of that time to discover at that time. His birth was meant for all of us since then to discover through the beautiful story of God. So as Jesus is born, other than a few shepherds, a couple guys from the east, Mary and Joseph, uh, and a few other people here and there, nobody really knew that the God and creator of the universe was born onto planet earth. And then, from that point until about 30 years later, essentially... Jesus lives in obscurity. We really don't know much. At 12 years old there was a little incident in the temple, then beyond that really He lives in obscurity. And then on a particular day there is a man named John the Baptist who is baptizing people in the river Jordan uh, as a baptism of repentance and he's calling people out and he's doing this because he was born to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Because people in the Jewish culture had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for God's Messiah, Savior, to show up and rescue them from the tyranny of the people that had oppressed them for generations, including Rome during this particular generation. John the Baptist is baptizing and Jesus walks onto the scene and essentially in that moment He steps out of obscurity, and he steps into the light, and he goes, here I am. And he doesn't even have to declare it. Listen to this. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist is baptizing, and John chapter 1 verse 29, it says this. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world... This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. See, there it is. This was the moment where Jesus said, Now you all can know who I am. Now you all can know why I am here. From that baptism, Jesus steps into a, a period of temptation that we read about in Scripture. Then he goes off to Nazareth, uh, into his home area. He goes into the temple, uh, the synagogue there, and he speaks Isaiah, where it was a prophecy about the one who would come. And remember, he says to them, "In your midst, in this reading, this has been fulfilled." And they actually try to stone him, because they realize what he's saying. He's saying, in case you're wondering, I'm the one, I'm the one who's come to put this all right, to set all things back in their place, to make all things new. And it was such blasphemy that they wanted to stone him, if indeed he was not the one. But it turns out some crazy things happen from there. Jesus begins to teach with such authority that people actually say, who is this man that teaches with such authority? And then Jesus lives a life from that point forward where incredible things happen and not in obscurity. He sees blind people uh, get their sight back. He touches sick people and they are healed. He even raises dead people to life. It's an extraordinary thing to watch. And as this unfolds and he moves through the Middle Eastern world, through Israel, more and more people become utterly convinced that he is indeed the Messiah. There is this ideology that none of the Jews ever followed Jesus and they all hated him. That is not true. Hundreds, thousands of Jewish people followed Jesus wherever he went. This particular Sunday, the event that we celebrate really begins in Jericho. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The Passover weekend is about to happen, and the Passover weekend is where the Jewish people celebrated the reality of what God did for them back in Moses' time, where they were enslaved to a people, and God came and through a lamb being slaughtered, and the blood painted on a door. They were protected from death and given life and freedom. Pretty cool story, right? And they celebrate that every year, the Passover lamb who took away death from us. And 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 that week was approaching. So Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, and I'm telling you, because the Jewish people knew their scriptures, they started putting two and two together and said, when He gets to Jerusalem on Passover week, He is the Lamb of God, which means that He will overthrow Rome On Passover week, setting us free from the tyranny of a people group that has us under uh, their hand and giving us life and freedom. Isn't that what the lamb did uh, in the story of Moses? Uh, Giving them life and freedom and setting them free from the tyranny of a people that held them captive. And so, people are following him. When they get to Jericho, the crowd is so big that we, we find the story of Jericho. People are navigating the streets and there's this little guy named Zacchaeus. And he's short, he's a tax collector, but he wants to see Jesus and he has to climb into a tree to be able to even catch a glimpse of Jesus. So you can imagine how crazy the crowds were. Disney, spring break, right? I mean, there, there it is. And and so, so this is the world into which we're coming. If you think Jesus was traveling with a few stragglers behind him, he was not. When he leaves Jericho and he heads up that dangerous road into Jerusalem, He comes into Jerusalem, and that crowd is with Him. They are following Him out to Jerusalem. Who doesn't want to be in Jerusalem in Passover when Jesus sets His people free? Everybody wants to be there. So they get to Jerusalem, and before they leave Jericho to Jerusalem, Jesus does something interesting. Take a look at this. Uh, We're going to go to the book of uh, Luke, and we're going to take a look at a little moment that takes place. Luke chapter 19 Listen to this little moment. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. Luke 19, if you're using one of ours that we provide on the way in, page 606. Page 606, Luke chapter 19. So, Jesus is still in Jericho right now, and He's way to Jerusalem, and it says this, Luke chapter 19, verse 11. As they heard these things... He proceeded to tell a parable. So what things did they hear? The chapter right before, not the chapter, the paragraph right before them, uh, but right before that is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, right? So he's in Jericho with Zacchaeus. They're hearing about what happened with Zacchaeus at his house, how Zacchaeus was set free from his past and his life, and, and hearing these things, They were walking with Jesus and Jesus told a parable. And he says this, Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they, the people listening, supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. See, there's our clue. The people are following Jesus to Jerusalem because they're supposing that Jesus has come to overthrow Rome who is holding holding them captive to uh, to set up his throne to have the Jewish people rule with him over the other nations as it was prophesied that Jesus would set up his throne in the line of David so that the throne of David would reign forever. So they're going, this is going to be awesome. And because they've seen Jesus raise people from the dead, they know this isn't going to be an ordinary fight. He's not going to come in with an army into Jerusalem. He's going to walk in with the power of God, and He's going to go, you're Rome? You're Rome? what's this. Think You're not Rome anymore. Right? So they're ready. They are ready. And so Jesus tells them this parable, and He says, hold on, listen, there's some things given to these guys, and then the master goes away for a while, and then He returns, and then He checks in on how the guys did. Why is he telling this weird parable? Because he knows that he's going to leave for a while and leave us to be redemptive on this planet and he's going to return and go, how to go? But he's going to be involved by empowering us with his spirit so that we're not alone. That's pretty awesome, but they don't know that. They don't know that. So he's telling a parable, they're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, sounds like a cool story. Can we get to Jerusalem now? And so they do. Look at this. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter um, 20. Uh, Verse 29, it's on page 569, 569 if you're using the Bibles that we provide at the door. So listen to this. Matthew chapter 20 verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed Him. So you see, it's in the Bible. Big crowd after Him. And behold there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. Now this super cool story takes place, right? He's on his way to Jerusalem on Passover, and these two blind guys are by the side of the road, and they start begging, please, please, we want to see. And, and and all the people are like, no, 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 pretend they're not there. Let's just keep moving, because if we stop now, and you're blind guys, and you're going to do some spitting mud thing again, and it's going to get all weird, and then it's going to take time. Where do they want to be? They want to be in Jerusalem. They, they're anxious to see Jesus take over Rome, right? But God in His sovereign, beautiful story places on the road two guys randomly sitting there who are blind and need clarity to be able to see. They even say that. We want to be able to have clarity to see. It's like Jesus tells the parable. It's not going to go the way you think. And then on the way, He takes two blind guys and He goes, look, look. People begging to see the real truth. Let me show them. And he gives them sight. It's this beautiful little story meant for us. So we can see the story unfolding before us. And then after he heals these two guys, he heads over to Jerusalem. First uh, Chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came... To Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied up. And he tells them to talk to the owner, and do this little thing, and the owner will know what's going on, super weird. But they do it, and it happens. And so they bring this donkey back to Jesus. See, all of this, what I love about it again, is that God whispers throughout the scripture all the time, Nothing was by accident. Nothing just happened. Nothing in this story kind of went, oh, there's a donkey. Should we take it? Why not? It's like Jesus walks in with intention. There's a donkey on 4th Street, 2nd house, to the left. There's a guy there. Tell him, I sent you. He doesn't know you. Doesn't matter. Trust me. And there's the donkey. They bring it back. Why a donkey? Jesus takes this donkey, and he's about to ride into Jerusalem On a donkey why two primary reasons during the time of solomon solomon also entered in on a donkey after a particular time of war where he was instituting peace you see when a person rides into a city on a white horse they are, that, that constitutes victory. It doesn't constitute peace, it constitutes victory. You say, what's the difference? The difference is, if you have a victory in a war, that could mean that right around the corner there's another war. So you're just saying, we're winning. We're winning this thing. But when you come in on a donkey, what you are saying to the people is, all the wars behind us are going to stay behind us for a while, and we are going to walk into a time of peace. In other words, I, your leader, am bringing you peace, not war. What did the people think Jesus was going to bring? War. War with Rome. War with the nations of the world. But the kind of war that had Jesus on a white horse, right? That time is coming, but it ain't come yet. This time Jesus is walking in with something extraordinarily different on his mind. Because he is going to go to war, but not the kind of war that we will be part of, the kind of war that brings us peace. So he comes on the donkey. Second of all, there was also in the Old Testament a prophecy that said that when the Messiah comes, the one who is of the line of David, the one who is going to save us, he is going to ride into Jerusalem, who knew, on a donkey. And so look at this, Matthew actually writes this, verse 4 of chapter 21, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So this is a declaration of who Jesus is, right? So how do the people respond? Let's take a look. And it says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Palm branches in general, which were a sign of peace coming. A sign of submission to the leader who will bring you peace. And watch this. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! What does Hosanna mean? The word Hosanna literally translates to save. To save, or save us. It is, a, it is a declaration more than a begging, save us. It's a declaration. It's saying, you are here to save. You, you see the difference? One is a begging. Please save us. You're not sure if he's going to or not. Hosanna is the opposite of that, but it means the same thing. <clears throat> oh, one who saves. Oh, the one, you've already saved us. Essentially, Hosanna means, you are here to save. We know that. And we're declaring that. So look what they're saying. Oh, one who is here to save the son of David. Why the son of David? Because it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah who would come would be in the line of David so that when he establishes his throne that will last forever over all nations, he would be on the throne of David. Hence the prophecy, David's throne will last forever. So they're like, they are declaring their clarity that they know exactly who he is. See what I'm saying? They're not, they're not being obscure about it. They're not like, eh. As a matter of fact, some of the guys that were leaders in this time that were threatened by Jesus' presence because he was going to overthrow the institutionalized reality of the religion in the Sadducees that they had held onto for power and for prestige and for wealth. Those Sadducees and some of those leaders, they were mad at Jesus. The Jewish people weren't. And they actually said at this point, when the people were like, Hosanna, son of David! They're like, Make him stop, Jesus! And that's, remember, that's when he said, Why? Will you hear what they're saying? They're calling you the Messiah! And? See, they didn't, they, they didn't want him to be. And that's when he said, Look, if I make him stop, that's okay, but it's going to get super weird around here because the rocks will start shouting. Do you want the rock shouting? That's going to weird you out. You might run away. So let the people keep going. See, this is that part where the people are declaring the power of Christ by declaring their clarity of who He is. And their submission to Him. And their... A commitment to follow Him. Do You see, all of that's happening. I lay down my cloak. I put down my leaves. I shout, Hosanna. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one who saves. Come save us, O oh Son of David. Come save us in the highest. They are declaring His divinity. This is a beautiful moment of absolute pure declaration of who Jesus is. So these people, they had encountered Christ at some point in the journey. In their encounter of Christ, they had heard His truth and they had submitted themselves to Him because they were now following Him from somewhere to Jerusalem. And rightly so, because He has the words of life. So they're coming. And now, after their encounter with Jesus, they are publicly declaring without fear in, in Jerusalem when the Roman presence in Jerusalem would have been higher than ever. Because during Passover, that's also when a lot of groups that were part of the Jewish uh, sort of side terrorism to try to overthrow them would also use that space. So there were always riots during Passover in Jerusalem. So they doubled the guard, they doubled Roman presence, and so if you were Jewish, you walked around Jerusalem real quiet during Passover. Other places you didn't have to, but Jerusalem you did. Because if you got caught as any kind of person wanting to riot, you would be arrested immediately and miss Passover. But these people, these people, are they silent? Are they quiet? No, no, no. They're so confident in Jesus' reality to rescue them that they're like, Hosanna! This is the one who came to save us! I could even se- se- see some of them going, from you! So they walk by a guard, from you, whispering <laughs> you don't even know what's coming. Because the whole time, that's what they thought, isn't it? That Jesus was coming to rescue them. And look what happens. In their declaration of Jesus being the Messiah, come to rescue this, it says in verse 10, And when He entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You see what happens? In their public declaration of who Christ is, in the way that they are unapologetically living their lives before the world, following Jesus, what does the world do? The world goes, Who's this guy? Who is this guy? And then the whispers start. I think he's the he's the prophet from Nazareth. He ain't a prophet, someone might say. But he's not, and a conversation ensues. See what's happening? It's a beautiful story. And you know what makes the story most extraordinary? Is that Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem, flick his little fingers, snap his fingers, and Rome was gone. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, the most horrid set of circumstances are about to happen. The one who is coming to save them is about to be taken by Rome, arrested, tried, scrutinized, tested, and then slaughtered by the very people these people thought he was going to overthrow. Do you know what else is happening on this particular day that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem? It is the 10th of Nisan, which is a a day of the month there. On the 10th of Nisan every year, lambs are brought into the temple right about the time Jesus was riding on the donkey. And those lambs are scrutinized and checked by the high priest to pick a lamb that is going to be utilized to lay down and slaughter for the atonement of the sins of the people of Israel each year. To hold them in place until the Messiah would come. This very day is called Lamb Selection Day. And Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. Simultaneously having a lamb selected in the, high, in the temple by the high priest. You know what happens to the lamb for the next four days? Before it gets slaughtered, guess on which day? <laughs> On that Friday, Nisan 14th, it gets slaughtered from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The lambs are slaughtered, and then at 3 p.m., the final lamb that was selected on Lamb Day is slaughtered. So between the day it's selected and the day it's slaughtered, it is scrutinized, tested, pushed in every way. You know what's about to happen to Jesus? He's about to be tested by the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the people... Then arrested and tested by the high priest, tested by the leadership of the Jewish high powers, tested by Rome itself, Pontius Pilate, and then scrutinized only to be found blameless, declared by Pilate himself. I find no fault in this man. See, when you look at it in hindsight, you're like, this is unbelievable. But the people didn't know that yet. This is still unbelievable. This is still Nisan 10th, not Nisan 14th, where they're going to watch their Savior die on a cross. They're still celebrating because they think He's going to overthrow Rome. But Jesus did not come simply so that He could overthrow and conquer Rome. He came so He could overthrow and conquer sin and death. He didn't come to save a generation from another people group. He came to save all generations from the enemy of God. See, they, they couldn't have known that. But we know that. We know that now. When Jesus came, He came to live for us. He came to die for us, to be the Lamb of God. He came to rise from the dead so that our souls would be rescued. We are born dead, folks. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. We were, we were born dead in our transgressions and sins. Children of wrath. But by His great love, Ephesians 2 says, He made us alive in Christ. We were dead, now we're alive because of Jesus. And then not only does He rescue our souls, that'd be enough, that'd be awesome, but He doesn't just rescue our souls so we have a nice life on this planet with a living soul, He redeems our future. And He says now that you are alive in Christ, your future that was lost to you because of sin and death is restored to you, redeemed, and you can live forever in the life and freedom of Christ. And then he restores our purpose. We were created to know God and to make him known. That's what we live for. We lost that when we walked out of the garden of Eden. Then we became people that chased after the wind, pursuing our own desires, our own needs, and chasing after the wind to try to be our own gods. And Jesus Restores our purpose when he wakens our soul when he redeems our future And he says now you can live to know me again And in knowing me you can live to be my ambassadors And to make me known through your life through your resources through your circumstances Through through your relationships through through everything And when you do that jesus says when you lose your life for my sake you will Find it see Life and freedom is found in the lamb of god And Jesus is the Lamb of God, not just to that generation, but to all generations. So now, instead of one day where people in Jerusalem declared, Oh, the one who saves us, Hosanna! Because they had encountered Christ now generation after generation after generation for thousands of years since this event. Every single time a human being encounters Jesus through the gospel, what do they do? They say, Oh, this this guy's awesome! This guy holds the words of life. And they begin to follow him. And then in their following, they are immediately declared by Christ to begin to publicly declare who he is. It starts in an act of obedience of baptism where we declare Christ to one another. We have encountered the gospel. Now we come and we say, I know Jesus. And we, and we preach that to one another, preaching the gospel to each other through the beautiful sacrament of baptism. And then after baptism, what then? Well, that's when the fun begins. Because now you get to, in every circumstance, in every relationship, in every resource you have, whether challenging or beautiful, you get to say, what will make the gospel beautiful in this? And how can I participate in that? And we declare Christ with our lives and with our words from here on forward. And every day that we do, we are in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday declaring, Hosanna! To the Son of David, Hosanna in the highest. My soul is saved. My future redeemed. My purpose restored. How can I not live for the kingdom of God now? This is what we do. So, the question is, on the opening of Holy Week, on Palm Sunday, how do we best celebrate then this extraordinary declaration unapologetically in public? I'll tell you how. Same way the church has been doing it for centuries, for millennia. We take those people that have encountered the gospel and have not yet stepped into the beautiful obedience of baptism and we baptize them so that they can get in the baptism and shout to you guys, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. I have encountered the gospel. I follow Jesus now. And together, we will help each other declare His wonders by demonstrating our passion for God and His passion for people every day, in every circumstance, in every relationship, and with every resource we have at our discretion. Because those things belong to Him. And we have the privilege of participating in His redemptive story, not because He needs us, But because He has restored to us what we were made for. To serve Him with our lives. To know Him intimately and to make Him known. Amen? So, with no further ado then, shall we go celebrate some baptisms? Let's do that. Would you stand and let me pray for you guys. God, thank you so much for this extraordinary event and its implications in our lives today. Thank you, Jesus That you did not come into Jerusalem to rescue the people of Israel from Rome. How small of a thing that would have been. But instead you came into Jerusalem to overthrow sin and death. Conquer it once and for all so that for generations and generations and generations. We, the unredeemed, would be redeemed. We, the lost, would be found. We, the dead, would be made alive. God, thank you. Thank you that this event is now not just an event for the people that were standing in Jerusalem that day, but it is an event for us. For us to continue with, to declare publicly, as deeply and profoundly as we are able in our humanity, to one another and to the world, here is Jesus. I have encountered him. He has changed my life. And he is the one he said he was and may we as we live our lives demonstrating our passion for God and his passion and your passion for people may the world say as they watch our lives who is this man you follow and may the whispers begin oh he is the prophet from Nazareth so that we might say oh he is no prophet he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords he is Hosanna the son of David he is the one who is in the highest by which we have life and freedom. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you. Amen.